name is Jarden. I am the Reform University campus minister at Western Kentucky University, so that makes Will and I co-workers in a roundabout kind of way. Will Cody, shout out to the Cody family. I think this is my fourth time preaching here, and it's the first time we've overlapped being here on the same Sunday, so, um, so I love that that worked out that way. Also, I brought my family with me this time, so um, if you get a chance, come say hey. Uh, my wife, Leah, my boys, uh, Solomon, and Micaiah, and Boaz, so... Um, it's really a privilege to be here. So I'm in my third year of doing campus ministry at Western Kentucky, and um, it's just a great job. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful opportunity to bring the gospel to campuses, which are, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a marketplace of ideas. And so uh, there's a lot of different things that you're hearing out there. And, um, and RUF uh, takes joy, those of us who have the privilege of working there, of, of bringing the gospel of grace, which uh, I intend to preach to you this morning. So one of the things that I wanted to do by... Uh, bringing the text um, that I brought this morning is uh, this fall we've been going through the book of Hebrews at our weekly large group meetings Um, and uh, we've actually finished doing that now we have a few other things we're going to do for the rest of the semester but um, I wanted to bring you a taste of that as sort of we go through the first chapter to give you sort of a sense of what the students are getting at Western Kentucky because you don't have to be a college student to appreciate what's in here so um, one of the things that uh, I just want to encourage you toward is, as you think about um, applying any of the things that you hear from the pulpit, whether it's from the regular uh, preaching from Richard or anyone else who comes up here, is you know, all of us are working toward the same thing, whether it's RUF or here in the church, is we long for the church, we long for our ministries to be a place where people who are convinced and unconvinced can come and be here together. We want to be a place where people can belong before they believe, right? They have space to work through their, their questions and their doubts. And it's a place where we want to remind people that no matter how bad they are, they're never too bad for the reach of God's grace to get to them. And they're never so good that they don't need God's grace. So that's kind of like the baseline that we're operating with this morning. And so uh, at large group on our, uh, at, at RUF, we, we, we sometimes go through a whole book of the Bible. Sometimes we go through just a, you know, uh, a topic. And so we're going, we went through the book of Hebrews, but why the book of Hebrews? Well, the book of Hebrews um, is, is like that favorite thing you love to eat that has all of the features. Like it has like the texture, it has the smell, it has certain flavors. Like, oh man, I just love, I just love it when it has a little flaky, crunchy crust on top of that pot pot. Mm. Like it's, it's it, whatever that thing is for you where it just does it, right? Everything is there that you need. That is how I want to encourage you to think about the book of Hebrews and the word of God as a whole. There's a pastor named Russ Whitfield who works at RUF. He's actually a pastor up in D.C., and I am just unashamedly stealing an illustration from him that he used for preaching this text. So I'm just I'm showing my work up front, okay? He reminded me of this commercial that was in the 80s for Prego spaghetti sauce, right? The jarred spaghetti sauce. And the, and the commercial goes like this. The dad is in the kitchen, and he's making spaghetti sauce, and the college-age son comes in, and he, and he sees the spaghetti sauce, and he kind of wrinkles his nose because it's a jar. And he goes... Dad, you're, you're, making, you're making spaghetti from a jarred sauce? Well, well, what about the garlic? And as the dad is stirring the sauce that he's well into preparing, he goes, it's in there. He goes, well, what about the onions and all the spices? And he goes, it's in there. Right? So that's that idea there of squinting at that thing going, wait, that's a little how we come to the Bible. That's a little how we come to God himself. We kind of are squinting and going, do you have what I want? Do you have what I really need? Okay, so that's the picture. So whether you are busy with adult life and all the problems that come with it, with relationships and finances and work, 
You're a college student who's just chugging away through your fall semester. You're just a kid trying to be a kid. Sooner or later, you're going to face challenges that remind you that you are not the most successful. You are not the most charismatic. You are not the strongest. You are not the most capable person in the room. So struggle with adult responsibilities, all these things, the, uh, the struggle with college life, the struggle with being a kid, these things all show us that we are small and that we are vulnerable. So you may be asking, how do I manage my work responsibilities and my personal life? How do I succeed in my schooling? How do I find someone to date? How do I make friends? How do I get better in my job? And lots of other questions. And without knowing the answers to those, you are looking for guidance. So check it out. Do you want guidance? It's in there. It's in there. So some of y'all feel vulnerable because relationships are sideways in your life. Things are not going the way they should be. You know that you need to be reconciled. You know that you need to have peace made between you and your spouse, you and your kids, you and a difficult roommate, coworker, supervisor, parent, professor, you get the picture. Some of us are walking around carrying the weight of the fact that we know that we aren't right with God. And we're looking for reconciliation. Do you want reconciliation? It's in there. It's in there. So some of you live under a cloud of feeling threatened in different ways. Sometimes big ways, sometimes small ways, sometimes ways that are insignificant, some very serious. You may feel small and worried about what will happen to you because of these things. And some of you are in deeply dysfunctional relationships where people will actually really try to hurt you if they have the chance. And some of you may have health issues that make you well aware that you are vulnerable. And some of you are all too aware that you are not invincible and you're looking for protection. Do you want to know that you are protected? Say it with me. It's in there. It's in there. You are guarded. You are protected. So we're all in the same boat. We all feel vulnerable. We all need guidance. We all need good relationships or reconciliation. We all need someone to guard us or protection, right? The difference between most people is where they turn to deal with this vulnerability. Where are you turning to deal with your vulnerability? Maybe you know what it's like to numb yourself through busyness because nobody else knows that you're numbing yourself. Maybe you're used to numbing yourself with achievement or food or drink or a lot of playtime and leisure or sex or drugs. Maybe you don't think you're vulnerable, but we are all vulnerable. That is the truth. So in Hebrews 1, what we're going to look at here is we're going to see how God spoke to the church before us to answer the question of how is Jesus better than what else we turn to, where else we look. So as we're looking at this text, I want you to see how believing in Jesus should make a difference here and now in Clarksville, everywhere else, even on the campuses at APSU, at WKU. When we need, I got three G's for you this morning, when we need guidance, good relationships, and a guardian, okay? So those are the three things I'm gonna focus on. So what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna read Hebrews chapter one in its entirety. I'm gonna pray that God would help us to make the most of it and that it would change us and help us to live in accordance with how Christ has called us to live. So I encourage you to listen carefully. This is God's word from Hebrews 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Long ago in many times, in many ways, 
God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by his word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and ministers of a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you laid, you Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up, and like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your, your, your years will never end, will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for speaking to us through your son. We thank you for the active work of the Holy Spirit even now. Making, making it possible for us to, um, to receive what you have sent to us, to put, to put it to work in our hearts, for it to change our lives so that we would reflect the glory of Jesus more and more. So God, I pray that you would use me as your instrument this morning, that you would make much of the gospel, that I would decrease, but you would increase as we reflect on how you, Lord Jesus, are better than everything else we turn to for guidance, for good relationships, and to be guarded. We need you this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this is where I'm going, answering the question, how is Jesus better than anything else I turn to? So according to the text, we're going to see that Jesus is better in three ways, three Gs, if you're scribbling notes, okay? He is better for guidance. He is better for good relationships. You can put in parentheses reconciliation. And he is a better guardian or protector, okay? He gives us protection. So let's look at that first G, okay? Where should we look for guidance? Where should we look for guidance? One of the simplest and honestly one of the most heartwarming things that you get to see in the opening weeks of uh, college ministry when campuses open up and everybody's figuring out where to go is um, in the first like week of classes, there'll be these stations set up around campus and they have a sign that says, do you need help finding your classes? And they're just there to help students figure out where they're supposed to go, because that's a lot, right? They are providing guidance at a critical time. So when we zoom out of thinking about finding classes and we think about the rest of our lives, then we think about needing, well, where we get our guidance starts to take on a lot more weight. It really matters, right? So think about your finances, think about your relationships, Think about your mental, your physical, your spiritual health. If you're late to a class on the first day it meets, it's not necessarily that serious. 
But as we get older, the consequences of getting bad guidance, bad intel, military community, like it can make a huge difference. It can make a huge difference. All right. So in Hebrews, the original recipients of this letter were primarily a group of educated Jewish converts to Christianity. So that's the context that this letter is addressed to, okay? It was probably a sermon that was turned into a letter, all right? So their understanding of guidance, intel, comes from the Old Testament. The Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets, right? So it comes from Moses. So there is continuity uh, where how God has communicated and there is discontinuity. You see, God has always been the God who pursues sinners to bring them back to himself. He speaks to them to guide them. That has always been the case. All of God's story is about God speaking. He spoke everything into existence. If you remember the creation narrative, for six days, let there be, and poof, there it was. He speaks creation into existence. And if you remember... The story of Adam and Eve, when they sin against God in the garden, I'm going to ask you to talk to me in a second. I'm warning you, we're all Presbyterian, right? We're getting comfortable with this kind of thing. But when God calls out for Adam and Eve, because they've sinned against him, what does he ask them? He asks them, where are you? Poor God, he can't find his creation. No, 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 no. He asks them where they are because he is pursuing them. And he wants them to recognize that he's pursuing them. He's looking for them. He speaks to them to guide them back to himself. So from the beginning, God has always been speaking. And then the rest of the Old Testament is this constant reenactment of God promising to love his people no matter what, as a husband promises to love his bride forever, making a covenant with his people. And his people just run from him over and over and over and over again. You get an entire book of the Bible in Hosea to illustrate this, what this is like, what God's people are like to him and what we are like to him. So God established the sacrificial system that you know from the Old Testament. We're a Christ-haunted culture, so even if you don't know the Bible well, you probably have some idea of like the sacrifices and the blood and all that stuff that was part of the Old Testament worship uh, system. God established that system after he made a covenant with his people because he knew that God's people were going to break the covenant. So how do they get assurance that their relationship can be reconciled, that they can have a good relationship with God? He gives them this sign through the system of worship, a sign that they can participate in in which they can be assured that reconciliation with God is possible. But it's a sign pointing to the reality that we get in Christ. So he did this to guide his people, to speak to them, to let them know that they could be reconciled to him. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 tells us about how God has always spoken to his people. It says there, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver in life, who spoke through the prophets. Yes, that. So God has spoken. And so that's the continuity. God has spoken to his people over the ages. The discontinuity is that before God sent a lot of middlemen, but no more. God in the latter days, in the time of history, following the coming of Jesus Christ, who has become a man, God has now spoken to us. Hebrews chapter one, verse two, by his, say it. Yeah, okay, one more time. By his, I gotta make y'all talk to me a little bit. I can't help it, all right? So John one tells us 
that Jesus is the word of God become flesh. He is like the best GPS ever. What do I mean by that? When I was in college, when I was dating Leah before we got engaged, married, I, I drove a, a flower delivery van. And, um, and back in that day, uh, I would go onto, you know, your desktop computer, the one that was all gray and huge and boxy, and I would go to mapquest.com. I bet you kids haven't heard of mapquest.com. I would go to mapquest.com, and I would print out paper directions so that I could figure out where the heck I was going, because I would sometimes drive 30 minutes to go deliver flowers and stuff. I didn't know where I was going, college kid. And I would be driving, very dangerously, shuffling papers, trying to figure out where I was going, okay? Now, did those directions get me to where I needed to go? Yeah, they worked. They were effective. A little dangerous, but, uh, but effective, right? But now, now we have these smartphones, right? And every single one of us has, you know, a very easy way to get GPS in front of you that, that tells you when to turn and where, all that stuff, very easily. It's a much better way to get you to where you need to go. So the prophets, I mean this respectfully, the prophets are to the printed directions as Jesus is to the GPS, okay? The prophets are to the printed directions as Jesus is to the GPS. So we have the privilege where we stand in history that we don't have to rely on the obsolete. We have the superior now. You can start with Jesus and work your way out from there. Okay, so start with Jesus. So because, because God has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ, we have guidance that cannot fail. So how do I get guidance from Jesus then, James? I'm so glad you asked. God speaks to us through the Bible, through Jesus Christ, living in us, in his people, by faith. So when you read the Bible, are you reading it as it is intended for you? In your bulletin, there's a block quote from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And some of the grown-ups in the room are going, oh, a kid's Bible? And that's only because you don't know how good the Jesus Storybook Bible is. The Jesus Storybook Bible is fire. Um, it is, it is so, it's, such a, it's such an accessible summary of what the Bible teaches. And so there's this block quote in there. If you want to follow it on your page, it's on your bulletin. And it tells you about how God guides us with the scriptures. It says the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It is an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far off country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. It's like, he is like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. God has spoken. RUF pastor at Belmont, Kevin Twitt, he asks uh, a really good question. I listened to him when he taught on this passage too. And he asks this, this is a really poignant question. What kind of relationship do you have with someone if you never listen to them? If you want guidance that pours into every part of your life, turn to Jesus. He is better. Turn to Jesus Christ. His word is a lamp unto our feet. It is light unto our path. Jesus is better than any other source of guidance, more foundational, more fundamental. You can safely build on the guidance that he gives us because he is the prophet 
who has spoken to us, greater than all who have come before. You want guidance? It's in there. It's in there. So how else is Jesus better according to this passage from Hebrews 1? What does God offer in Jesus Christ to help me with good relationships, to be reconciled to others? When your relationships go wrong, you have options. We all have options, right? You can, uh, you can cancel the person, right? You know, you can, you can completely cut them out of your life and you can never deal with them again. And maybe in extreme cases, you should, but extreme cases, right? Ordinarily, most of the time, there's actually hard work to be done. There's hard work of reconciliation to do before we rush to cut someone out of our lives. Hard work of reconciliation. We desire to have good relationships with the people around us, most of us, but we all know how difficult that can be in our families, how difficult that can be with roommates, with coworkers, with professors, with others. Some of us are aware that we are not reconciled to God. Our relationship is not good with him, and we walk around carrying the shame of what we have done or what we have failed to do and we have unresolved anger about the ways that God has moved in our lives in times of hardship or disappointment. And in our quiet moments, we might be very aware of our need to be reconciled with God and with our neighbors if we are to thrive in the context of good relationships. So in the second half of verse three, if you rush, you'll miss it. You'll miss it because it says something really important about how Jesus is better than what came before. But you'll miss it because maybe you are growing in what you know the Bible teaches. So it says there, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what? So what? Remember, this audience, the original audience of the book of Hebrews is mostly Hebrew converts to Christianity. They're well acquainted with the Old Testament sacrificial system with all the blood and slaughtered animals. So when you read about the items in the tabernacle, you can go read about this in the Pentateuch, and you can read about how there's all these pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. But there's one piece of furniture that ain't there. There is no chair for the high priest to sit on when he goes in the tabernacle. And do you know why? It is because his work is never done if he's in the tabernacle. He's going to have to repeat that work. He comes in, he does his business, he leaves, and he's just in and out. But he never stays and just hangs out. He doesn't stay and sit. It reminds me of like, I went to go get some gift cards for a giveaway. It's like some Chick-fil-A gift cards, and I was waiting at the end of the counter. And I was kind of looking at it long-wise, so I was like looking at the side of the counter. And I just, I had this thought about how, I was like, oh, there's no, there's no stools or anything for them while they're working the register. It's because they're busy, they're slinging chicken, right? They're at work. There's no chair. There's no chair in the tabernacle because the high priest's work is never done. The, all those sacrifices, all those, all those animals, all that blood was set out for God's people to have a sign that reconciliation with God is promised to them. That he has made a covenant to never give up on his people so that when you sin, you are reminded through this worship system that there is a way to be made right with God through faith, right? So that was set up for them in that time and place. And all those animals, they work kind of like this. You have a credit, most, I bet every adult in here has a credit card. So you, when you go to the store, you run that credit card 
and you, you get what you want, you go out the store, you deal with the thing, you run the credit card, you make a purchase, run your credit card, you make a purchase, and then finally the bill comes due and you gotta pay the whole thing off, right? So one way you can think about the Old Testament, Testament sacrifices is a little like those credit card purchases. All those Old Testament sacrifices are like, the bill will come due, the bill will come due, the bill will come due. Jesus Christ breathes his last on the cross, says it is finished, paid in full. That's it. That's the picture you get. So Jesus is the better and true sacrifice on the cross for the sins of everyone who would believe. The Bible is unequivocal about this. Apart from being reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, each and every single person in this building, myself included, is an enemy of God, which is pretty offensive when we think things are pretty good. Like maybe I'm a good person, right? But the fact of it is, is that's the picture the, the, the scriptures paint for us about our need. Apart from God reconciling us to himself, we're enemies. There is no possibility of a good relationship with God apart from his action to draw us to himself. So it's not just that we need guidance. Yes, we need guidance, but we need to be reconciled to God. And here's the kicker. It's not just that Jesus has made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. If you know, we kind of chip in some good works. No, the work of salvation is finished by God himself. And so he sat down. When Jesus died on the cross and he cried out to Telestai, uh, a little cool archeological nugget about that is they found like, like documents from that, that time and, and they would, they would, that'd be written on the bottom of like a bill to Telestai, paid in full. So there's another aspect of how you can think about what Jesus is saying when he died on the cross. So how do we know that Jesus was right? Well, because his death isn't the end of the story, we know he was right that it was paid in full by the resurrection. What do I mean by that? Jesus both suffered and died as the sacrifice in our place, but he also overcame the power of sin and death in resurrection. It is the proof that the work is truly done, that there are no more sacrifices needed. And we cannot contribute to that work. We cannot add to the work that God has finished on our behalf. We can only respond in faith. Do we trust that it was enough? When you're suffering, you can know that it is not because God requires you to suffer to be reconciled to him. No, Jesus suffered for your sin. You will not know the freedom of believing in Christ if you're constantly wondering if your suffering is because Jesus' work isn't actually finished and you gotta pay up too. You won't know the peace of actually following Jesus. Because his work is finished, a good relationship with God is possible. Reconciliation has been purchased by Christ for us. And reconciliation with God prepares the way for us to be reconciled to difficult people in our lives. They go hand in glove. So Jesus is greater than the angels, right? And the original audience would probably be thinking of the Old Testament stories where the angels would show up and, you know, and just, just wreck shop. And every time the angels show up in the scriptures, right, it's not like the Hallmark cards, like little cherubim with little sweet faces and like softly lit. Like every time they show up, they're terrifying. They have to say, fear not, because everybody's like, don't kill me when they show up. So this is, this is the, the context of the Old, Testament, the Old Testament teaching. And now Jesus has come in and given us new detail about who has power, who actually can protect you, who actually does judge, who actually does guide, right? Who is greater? So they were very impressed by that. They're very impressed by the angels, but we in our culture, like most of us are not really impressed by angels. We don't spend a lot of time 
Uh, and maybe if you come from like perhaps a, a certain streams of Roman Catholic background, maybe you spend time asking angels to help you. But like most of the time, people aren't praying to angels. We have other idols we look to. We look to other things. We look to sex, money, power, and success. So Jesus is not just greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than all that stuff too. He's greater than all those things. He is the greater high priest who sat down, who offered himself, who did the work of purification for us. And the rest of the book of Hebrews unpacks that in depth, especially chapter seven through 10. So Jesus is the greater high priest. He is the prophet who spoke to us. He's the high priest who sat down after his work. So are you vulnerable and needing guidance? It's in there. Do you need good relationships, reconciliation with God and with others? It's in there. What about protection? What about someone to be our guardian? So what does God offer in Jesus Christ that is better than any other guardian we would look to? I suspect that some of you in this room actually do have dangerous jobs being here in a military community, but some of you don't. And so this might hit you a little different when you think about physical danger, physical safety on a day-to-day basis. For, so for those of you who don't worry about your physical safety, you certainly have relationships that are emotionally kind of threatening. So if you can't relate to this in a physical sense, certainly you can relate to it on the emotional one. Some people are not safe, either physically or emotionally. So it's important to remember that when this letter was original, originally received, the church was persecuted unlike almost anything else we've experienced in the United States, except for perhaps the Reconstruction era and the Jim Crow era when churches were being firebombed and, and people were harassed, especially the African-American church tradition, right? That's like the closest thing we get to Christian persecution in America, right? But most of us can't relate to being persecuted the way that the first century church was persecuted. They faced the threat of being jailed, killed, discriminated against, and the Romans in their law had a special allowance for Jews to practice their faith. And at first they thought the Jews were just, I mean, they thought the Christians were just another kind of Jew. So they had the umbrella protection over them. But over time it became clear, oh no, 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 these, these, these followers of the way are something else altogether. And that protection went away. So then the, the Roman government would, would persecute the Christian church as well. So they faced intense persecution. So that's the context of wanting protection, wanting a guardian over them. So in our day, what do we do? Well, we make strong friends. We vote for people who we think will protect us and our interests. We use money to buy security systems. I have one too. Uh, we take self-defense classes. I'm taking judo with the family right now. Um, or especially in America, we buy lots of guns, right? When we don't feel safe. So again, our culture is not particularly looking to angels to guard us, but this audience would have been. No, we prefer to flex on our own, right? We at root are dealing with the same thing though. We all recognize that we are vulnerable. We do feel like we need someone, something to guard us. So I want you to notice as we look at the rest of this chapter, verses five through 14, particularly in verse 13, it says there, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In the Westminster Catechism, you have some of the questions also in your bulletin. I'm gonna focus on the last one. Um, that catechism was written for children to memorize truths of the faith. Um, and now for adults, we're like, what does that word mean? Um, but that's, that's what it was for. And it summarizes the work of Christ like this. In the last question, you can see this. Christ executes the office of a king. We've talked about him being prophet. Talk about being priests. Now we're talking about Jesus King. Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself and ruling 
and defending us and restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. So no angel has the power that Jesus has in this way. By nature, we're all enemies apart from God, apart from Christ's work to reconcile us, to guide us back to himself. And in other religions, the gods do not make a way to be reconciled to them at their own expense, but that's exactly what God has done by sending his son to suffer and die in our place. Jesus died to make peace with his enemies. There's a Christian hip hop song where a guy says, let me tell you about the story about the hero dying for the villain, and that's it. Like, that's, that's what's happening. The hero has died for the villain, you, me, so that we can be reconciled to him. It sounds crazy when you think about it, but that's the promise of the scripture. So no angel gets this power. Do you want to experience God as the one who guards you? Do you, do you want that in your life? Well, you've got to come to see him as the one standing in your place, receiving the punishment due for your sin. Our bodies will die one day and they'll return to the earth unless Jesus comes back first. But the promise for all who are in faith is that we will rise like him. So you are guarded for eternity. Death of our body is no longer the worst thing that can happen to us in Christ. We have hope beyond the last breath we take on this side of glory. In Christ, our death becomes the doorway into resurrection life. As we sing, there's a song we sing at RUF called Christ Be Magnified. Maybe I'll know it. It says, death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And it's true. You're guarded for eternity. So there are so many things that present themselves as better than Jesus. I'm gonna wrap this up quick here. Lots of good things too. Relationships, sex, alcohol, power. These are all good things in their proper place. They're good gifts, but they're terrible gods. They're like great value gods, right? I kind of think of like Loki where, uh, the, in uh, the first Avengers movie where he's like, Loki's ranting about how he's uh, this god and like, like the Hulk picks him up and just ragdolls him, right? And then after he's done, he walks away and says, puny god. Like that's, that's our idols, puny gods. They cannot do what we look to them to do. And they're great value, guys, because like if you know you want to go to the store and you want to get like certain things where like if you don't get the real thing, it's not going to taste the same. You need the real thing, right? You want to get the thing where it's in there, all right? So think of that Prego commercial. When you think about whether it's worth it to turn to Jesus, to turn to the Bible, Jesus is the word of God become flesh. The Bible is the word of God. And we get guidance. We get reconciliation, we get good relationships, we get protection, we get him to guard us. It's all in there. And because Christ meets all of our deepest needs, we should turn to him in faith because, because Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So just like you need guidance to get a degree while you're in school or to, to, to be successful in your work, to grow as a parent, to manage your finances, maybe to make friends, maybe to find a date, you know that you need good relationships and the only way to get there is through reconciling broken ones, you know you need protection to be guarded against being exposed. As you experience those needs, I'm telling you that you will only ultimately be satisfied in Jesus Christ. The one who loves you so much that he tells you what you need to know most as your prophet. The one who makes it so that you can have a good relationship, who reconciles you like a priest, as our priest. He reconciles us with God and with, our, and with others, and he guards us against our enemies as a good king does his and our enemies. And this is incredibly good news. So as we get ready to come to the table, I challenge you to answer the question for yourself. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he's better? He is. He is better. If you don't believe it, 
Would you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the God who does not leave us to wander in the dark, that you have spoken to us. And most importantly, you have spoken to us through your son. We have the scriptures and they are vital and they are the way that you tell us we find the way of life. The words of life are contained in them. And Lord, it baffles me when I think about how the word became flesh in the son, Jesus Christ. So Lord Jesus, we give you glory as our king, the one who guards us and protects us against yours and our enemies. We thank you that you have made the way for reconciliation between us and God, that you have, you've made it possible for us to have peace with you. And therefore you've made it possible for us to have peace with our neighbors. So God, be the one who guides us. Be the one who, who, who guards us. Be the one who protects us. Be the one who helps us have good relationships. We need you for these things. We cannot do them in our flesh. So help us now as we prepare to come to the table. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.